Bonjour Daniel Paquette, bienvenue sur VH Berries. Merci, bonjour Victor, comment allez-vous Très bien et vous Très bien, merci. Since the beginning of the year, a story has been prominent in your work. It is the one of Diariso. Right, right. I've been following that story since Diari disappeared on January 4th. It's been a wild ride. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. So the story, the story of Diari So, um, has been a big one in Senegal, though, where I live. I live in Dakar, the capital. Basically, Diari is like an academic celebrity here. She was ranked the top student in Senegal two years in a row. She published a book before turning 20. Uh, and then she landed a scholarship at a prestigious um, prep school in Paris. And then one day in early January, she just vanished without a trace. So people across France and Senegal were really concerned, you know, where is she? Was she kidnapped? They had no idea for about three weeks. That's right, because you wrote uh, three articles since the beginning of the years. Diarisa disappeared in France and she's back with a new book about a girl uh, who ran away. Right, that's exactly right. So no one had heard from her. The police were looking for her. Uh, I met with her family in the village of Malakunda, which is uh, along the Senegalese coast. And then all of a sudden, we start hearing that she's been found, she's safe, but no one had heard her voice. And a lot of people on the internet were a little bit confused, you know. Is she really okay? We want to hear from her. What happened, Yari? Uh, then on Monday, uh, which would have been one day before our conversation today, Victor, she um, reappears on Instagram. And it is a book trailer, she called it, for uh, her second novel, a new novel. And this novel will be about a girl who ran away. So once again, the internet was all in this big frenzy. Uh, they were wondering, Jerry, you know, what happened to you? Tell us about you before you tell us about this fictional character, you know. Some accused her of potentially using her disappearance um, as a way to garner publicity. Others thought, you know, she's at this really hardcore school. She's so stressed out. She probably needed a break. And she's only 20 years old. Who can blame her? There's been a lot of conversation about Diari. Um, and so personally, as a journalist who's been following the story for three weeks, I was glad that she's alive, that she's well, and that this particular story had a happy ending compared to other instances of disappearances that end in, in much worse ways. Another story that you want to know more about for sure is the French Siri Lupin. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. You know, I am a student of French here. I'm American, as you know. And uh, one way to sharpen my language skills is watching Netflix in French. And Lupin has been fantastic. That actor, Omar Sy, uh, he was actually in Senegal a couple weeks ago visiting the president, Macky Sall. And then I heard he was at a party at my neighbor's house. So that was cool. So according to you, Daniel Paquette, what is going to happen next? Good question, Victor. Um, I hope he finds his son, first of all, but uh, I love the suspense. <laughs> 
Daniel Paquette, concerning your work as a correspondent. Uh, today, you are a foreign reporter in Dakar. And before, during five years, um, you were writing about the economy, gender, labor. And at the time, you were already connected to Africa because you worked in Rwanda. That's right. I had a long and winding road before I landed in Dakar. Uh, I worked in Washington, D.C. for the Washington Post, covering all kinds of issues, economic issues, which are all related to humans, as you know. And uh, all, the, all the while, I knew that eventually I wanted to work abroad. I wanted to go see more of the world, meet more people, not just talk to Americans every day. So I ended up uh, pitching a story in Rwanda Uh, that, that was about 2017. That was my first time reporting abroad. And it was about, um, children who were conceived through sexual assault during the Rwandan genocide about 25 or so years ago now. Anyway, um, the young people I met, they were all kind of coming of age at the same time. They're all becoming adults trying to make their way in the world. And uh, they sort of let me into their lives and let us share with our readers back in the States um, what it's like to be a young person in Rwanda. And that was enough to just make me fall in love with that, with the profession, um, traveling around the world, hearing different people's experiences. So uh, I kept pushing to go abroad as much as I could. And because I was an econ economics reporter, Uh, I actually landed in Beijing during the trade war, the U.S.-China trade war, right as um, former President Trump was announcing all these new tariffs on China and China striking back. So I was able for a couple of months to dive into that story uh, and see how that was affecting Chinese lives this time. So that that leads us where to where I am today. Um, When this job opened, the West Africa Bureau Chief, I raised my hand, uh, though I wasn't an expert on West Africa. So oftentimes I, I just try to do what you do. I talk to as many people as I can to understand what's going on um, in their lives and their part of the world to make sure our readers get as close to the truth as possible. It's super interesting because uh, during these five years, it's nearly 2,000 days. So if I understood correctly, the Washington Post, uh, for example, uh, asked you to go in Switzerland, China, and all around the US. Yes, and what a privilege that was. You know, I don't want to make this a commercial for the Washington Post, but I love working there. I really appreciated that they took me this you know, young woman from Indiana uh, and gave me all these opportunities to go far beyond our borders. Uh, I did, I ended up in Switzerland for one strange week at um, a economic conference that people just call Davos, shorthand. Uh, it's some of the richest people in the world get together and try to solve the world's problems. <laughs> it's a really uh, it's an interesting place to visit if you're not super wealthy like myself. Uh, and so that was also fun because I, I, I got the chance to talk to people from all over the world, uh, ask them some tough questions about how, for example, automation could affect employment in the future. So I really consider myself, um, at the end of the day, a generalist. I'm always learning about something. I'm not an expert about anything until I talk to, you know, 10, 20, 30 people uh, and write my stories. 
And for example, during this time, you got the opportunity to uh, ask questions and discuss with Labour uh, Secretary Thomas Perez. Yes, that that was fun. That was uh, during the Obama administration. He came into the post, was quite a nice guy, and we talked about issues like the gender wage gap, how in the United States and around the world, you know, men are oftentimes in almost every profession paid more uh, money on average than women, um, and how the administration was taking steps to sort of promote more uh, or la less disparities uh, in that in that way. And actually, while I was reporting out those stories, I, I started thinking about myself, how uh, I had never really asked for, to negotiate for higher pay, you know? Uh, and it's interesting how your work can blend into your life. Like, okay, well, I'm writing about women who are asking for more money, for asking, you know, for what they're worth. Maybe I should do the same. And I applied some of that to my own life. And it, it's it's good to at least give yourself the opportunity for that to work out. And Daniel Paquette, I noticed that, for example, for the event I mentioned, you were uh, behind the camera. Um, are you interested to be like uh, front in front of uh, the people you are talking to in the lights? Oh, you know what? I'll leave that to you. I am terrible at that. <laughs> I would much rather be in the background with a notebook, watching, observing, uh, uh, and letting people tell me what's important. I don't consider myself an analyst. Um, I have gone on TV in the past to promote our work or, you know, raise more awareness about something that maybe I felt was important at the time. But most of the time, it's not glamorous what I do. I'm, you know, sweating in the back of a cab, going somewhere with no internet uh, connection and, and just trying <laughs> to to understand complicated stuff on the fly. So in the present moment, uh, you are directing everything that is covering West Africa. So right now for the post, my job is to cover West Africa and then some, so 20 plus countries. Obviously, I cannot be everywhere at once. So we work with lots of freelancers, lots of people um, who live in all these countries, Nigeria, Mali, Burkina Faso, you know, Ivory Coast. And, uh, ask them what's going on, kind of collaborate. This is not a job where I'm, you know, the one person making this happen. This is something that you need teamwork to succeed. And I'm lucky enough to have partners across all these countries helping us bring these stories to our readers who primarily live in the United States, but we hope to reach more people in more countries with each passing day. Tell me about uh, your relationships with the others U.S. newspaper uh, in Africa, because recently I talked with John Searcy, uh, the former uh, West Africa bureau chief uh, at the New York Times. This is nearly the same mission. Oh, yes. Now, Dion and I would laugh and say that the New York Times and the Washington Post are often seen as competitors, and that's true. But we're also very often friends. Um, she's been a mentor to me. She's a fantastic journalist, won a Pulitzer out here doing really tough stuff. Um, before I took this job, I had never met Dion and, uh, I gave her a call out of the blue. She was kind enough to talk to me and give me some advice on how to succeed in Dakar in West Africa. Then she ended up writing a book that everyone should buy about her time out here. And I saw that as sort of like, 
a guide for myself. So yes, we compete against each other, but I, I learned from her and uh, I think it's a healthy rivalry that ultimately ends up benefiting the reader. I was just going to mention the books. Are you planning to write your own memoir? Oh, you know, uh, I will let you know if I ever <laughs> figure out what I should be writing. I, I'm much more comfortable writing about other people's lives personally. I, I, I like um, this opportunity to step in other people's shoes. Maybe I'll, I'll give it like 10 or 20 or 30 years before I consider a, mem a memoir. In this book, you can, for example, talk about your life in Dakar, Senegal, when you go to nature and forever petting soft animals. <laughs> you have been looking at my Instagram. Yes, I love animals. I actually just got a puppy here in Dakar. Um, a street dog gave birth to a bunch of puppies and a friend was taking care of them in her garage and she just posted on Twitter, does anyone want a ball of fur, you know? And I thought to myself, It's a pandemic, so yes, if not now, then never. So I've adopted a crazy street dog named Evie, and I do love um, reporting on animals whenever I get the chance, because there's a lot of great ones out here in West Africa. What I admire about your story, Daniel Paquette, is the balance between consuming and producing, because you are consuming news, and on the other hand, you are writing and uh, creating original content. Oh, thank you, Victor. I think you're exactly right. Um, I'd be a lousy journalist if I wasn't reading all the time. I try to stay on top of what's going on all around West Africa um, and, and reading what others produce really motivates me. You know, some of the best story ideas come just from reading. Like I one day was just reading about like a, I was reading a travel guide on West Africa and there's four sentences about this place in Liberia called Monkey Island. Uh, and in this book, it said, uh, find someone, a local fisherman off the coast. Maybe they will give you a ride to this island where a bunch of former U.S. laboratory chimps all live now. Uh, it's free. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I, I did some reporting and I found out that in Liberia, there are dozens and do dozens of chimpanzees who live very unnaturally on an island because um, during the Ebola epidemic, the researchers who were trying to develop medicine for hepatitis uh, and other types of, of diseases were testing on, the, on these chimpanzees. They ended up needing to flee the country uh, and they didn't know where to put all the chimpanzees. There are about 60. So they put them on an island so that they could not run out of the woods and bother people or put themselves in harm's way. Uh, and I ended up meeting this man named Joseph, a Liberian man who had been working with the American scientists. And he had been taking care of these chimpanzees by himself all these years. Uh, and he became, became this hero that way, keeping these, these animals alive. Uh, and I never would have found Joseph's story and I never would have gotten to get on a boat and go see these chimpanzees who walked right up to me without reading constantly. You just mentioned it. Being a journalist in the cards gives you a special position. Does your jobs uh, made your life more easy? <laughs> so life, you know, yes and no. Life is definitely better out here. I really love it. I love the experience of getting to see all these things I would have never, never otherwise seen as someone who grew up in the middle of the United States, you know, Indiana. 
But it can be hard being away from your friends and your family. In the U.S., you're used to certain things like calling an Uber, for example, or using a credit card. And in Dakar, I've had to adapt to to a different world, a different economy. You know, uh, I it's all cash based, for example. So if I want to run out and buy some groceries, I better have some cash in my pocket most of the time. Um, just little changes like that that you just need to get used to. And I really think it's opened my eyes. I've developed such an appreciation for like the beauty and, and power of Senegal. And I really uh, can't wait to see what else I get to see in the next year and a half or so. And concerning uh, the climate in New York City and Washington, D.C., which is your hometown, this is snowing right now, which is not the case in Dakar. No, I would much rather be in Dakar today. It's a beautiful, you know, 70 degrees. I'm looking out my window right now, blue skies, breeze, there's an ocean across the street. I mean, Senegal has so much glorious beauty and everyone should visit when it's safe to travel, that is. Sure. Thank you so much, Daniel Paquette. Thank you, Victor. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> 